0: I'm Angela Ross and this is SoCal Voices. The murder of George Floyd by police in Minneapolis renewed focus on systemic anti-black racism in America. As thousands of people from all walks of life took to the streets to protest Floyd's killing and the police brutality that all too often ends in the deaths of black people, A number of global brands and local businesses issued statements in support of the Black community. Some even reflected on their company's role in perpetuating anti-Black racism and promised to do better. Others remained silent, worried that speaking out may alienate customers. In this pivotal moment, as the nation reckons with race and equality, who's right, the companies that speak out or those who stay silent?
1: I would say that In some ways, everybody's wrong.
0: That's Janice Ruth's co-founder of Anti-Racist Riverside and CEO of RootWise, a consultancy focused on racial equity.
1: If you have the money and you have the, you know, commercial ability to speak out and you do that, but you are so large that internally you really aren't promoting you know, qualified people of color, especially African-Americans, you know, it it doesn't matter what happens in the workplace. The less we look like whites, the less opportunity we have. And that means that anyone else that comes in whose hair is straighter or speaks with an accent that's somewhat different than we do, will get that opportunity. And it doesn't mean I don't want them to. But what I do want is for companies to do more than just speak up. They need to act. And yes, I do think that regardless of your size, no matter what you do, you have made a choice, whether you speak up or not, to lose certain customers, at least for a while. And so, you know, the many times, and I find myself, you know, in the same quandary, right? As many times as I'm mad at a company, there comes a point where I decide, okay, I'm going to, buy this thing there because it's two hundred dollars cheaper, right? (laughs) So we all find ourselves in that economic gray space where we often have cognitive dissonance because we're dealing with somebody that we don't want to, but that's what we can afford to do at this time. But I do think that it is to the benefit of companies who do speak up to put their, you know, put stake their claim put it in the ground. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you didn't, you are certainly going to get the scrutiny for not having spoken up. And if you do, then I need to watch you to see if you're going to do what you said you were going to do. Because the time has passed for us to just let people say what they want and it keep just being the same thing.
0: Right. So what what I hear you saying is not saying something says something. Absolutely. And saying something and not Following that saying with acting, uh, all of that is the same. It's all part of the same issue, all part of the same problem. It
1: is absolutely all part of the same problem. And furthermore, it goes into the reaches of, you know, all companies. Not just you know a General Mills or a Nike or a Procter and Gamble or whoever else, right? It goes into all of these nonprofits, whether it's the Red Cross or you know the small one down the street. It goes into foundations, and it's really bad in foundations because foundations, from the tax code perspective you know, is set up to benefit foundations. And and it benefits them by keeping their money and not really giving it out to do good work. And now, you know, with everything that has happened since George Floyd's murder, right, Mm -hmm. people are trying to put their money where their mouth is. But foundations are just sort of, most of them I see skimming the surface, you know, okay, now I'm going to you know, re, I'm going to divert my funding to these, you know, rape, anti-racist causes or Black organizations, HBCUs, whatever. And in the end, what's going to happen in two years from now, if people still aren't on the streets, you know, protesting, what's going to happen? Oh, now I'm going back to doing what I did, which is dribble and drab pieces to, you know, whoever, or I'm not going to make a statement or I'm going to make a statement that is so watered down I could have been quiet. It is frustrating, but I don't think management and boards are thinking through these things enough because sometimes the things they come out with that they think is kind of helping them, you know, walk the fence <laughs> is really is disastrous, I think, and can be. I think everyone has time to fix something if they, you know, haven't gone out of business. But What they're missing, I think, is twofold. The first is kind of immediate in that the base, that large white base of people who either buy or donate or volunteer act, however they do, has had significant mind change this time around. If you compare, you know, who's in the street today to who was in the street in the 60s, you see a vast majority of white people out in majority white towns Mm -hmm. even, right? Mm -hmm. And you look at a place like Portland and you have to, as a company, if you really want to talk about doing business with people, you really have to think about as a company, what happened, Right. right? Something significant happened. And I've I've had these discussions with other people, and it it seems the the combination of COVID and being inside and not being able to, you know, just be flitting around and doing what you need to do outside and that sedentary ability to kind of see everything that's gone (laughs) in this internet world that we live in, where you can 24 hours a day be watching what's going on, combined with the the straw, and I don't mean this in any sense of, you know, the importance of George Floyd's life compared to all of our lives. Right. But how many times has a a black man been killed by a cop and this didn't happen? Right. So this came at this juncture and people began to watch. And I I have people who said to me, you know, I, I saw this and I, I didn't understand until now. You know, yeah, and I'm like, okay, I, I I get that because you didn't have to think about this, but it's all in your face, it's in your town, Even the smallest towns have had reactions. Mm-hmm. so as a business, if you can't see that sea change of thought of people who are your customers or your donors or volunteers, then I think that's that's a great that's that's probably the short term. Element that you're missing and how you're planning to be sustainable. If you are mistaking or if you're deciding not to speak up at this moment, mm-hmm. right, and mm-hmm. we just asked that question, and kind of answered, should you or should you not? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're making the decision either way, as you said. Um, but should you decide not to speak up at all and feel like I can stand in a neutral territory, um, the neutral
0: territory is, is decreasing. People have to take a stand is what you're saying.
1: Pe- people do have to take a stand, and companies are not just these entities that stand alone. They are the people in them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unlike in the, you know, the early days where you only had five or ten, you know, names that people recognize, Rockefellers and Carnegie's and whoever else. Today people recognize the names of lots and lots of CEOs you know, and because most of them are their founders and they they are these larger than life kinds of people. And so they relate your company directly to you mm-hmm. and they will relate directly to you what you do or don't say. And I think that falls all the way down to
0: a mom and pop business. Who's doing it well, in your view? Who Who gets it and who's at least trying?
1: Well, when I think about large companies, I mean, I think about Two, one, I'm not certain about in terms of the ranks who's there, but, and I should do a little bit more research, but Nike coming out in favor of Colin Kaepernick, right, and having the kind of ad for someone whose real function at the time was just being anti racist and trying to fight this police brutality, right? Mm-hmm. He wasn't an active athlete. I mean, they they have made millionaires out of many, many, many Black athletes, right? And I don't know what their ranks look like at the top, right? But to be able to take a stand, I would like to at least, I think, look more into what else are they doing. The other one for me is Netflix. They are a disruptor company, across the board in how they act and everything. I do think they need more diversity in their workforce. Mm -hmm. I think that we need to en masse start to apply for work (laughs) (laughs) there, but they spend a lot of money on bringing over, you know, the Obamas and they would do Renee and, you know, and more, right? A lot more. And although these weren't people who were starving by any means, they do the kind of work that's important to the African-American community. And really, I speak primarily for myself as an African-American when I'm talking anyway, because I I mean, I do know some other cultures, but I wouldn't call myself an expert on someone else's culture. And Mm -hmm. I would not you know, try to speak for them. I can only say what I know of my interaction with individuals, sure. right? And as companies, I think there's opportunity there. I mean, Netflix gave—I don't know—something like I, I don't know—I can't remember the number now—but like a hundred million dollars to Black banks, right? right? Right. And it may be a drop in a bucket, right? But it is a big drop in a bucket that doesn't have as much water as all the other banks, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But to, to that level, you know, and, I, and I've seen, you know, I've seen, you know, I mean, Bloomberg has some mixed things he's done, but, I, you know, rec- but, you know, he recently did something like giving $10 million or some amount of money to HBCUs, I think it was four of them. But, you know, I think on the foundation side, I have someone that I met on um, LinkedIn because of how he spoke. And his name is Glenn Galaish and he is the CEO of Stupski Foundation, which is actually a spend-down foundation. Okay, so in the next 10 years, they're going to give out all of their money. And they primarily do, um, if they're in the San Francisco area, and they primarily, primarily do work related to um, health care and health equity. But not only are they spending down... Not only as a white man, is he constantly saying in a public way, you know, white people get over it. You know, it's time for you to open your eyes and understand that you have been privileged Hmm. and you need to deal with that. And you need to deal with that in practical, actual ways, whether it's looking at how you hire, looking at your boards, looking at where you give your money, giving more of your money. But also just, you know, not being afraid to stand up and say, we need to do something about this as a a white people, Mm -hmm. right? And even working with a company internally in his own organization, you know, with a racial equity company to have the discussions, to start to think differently, to try and help people through their issues, whatever they might be, that takes that means you're you're
0: following the words you speak, right? Walk in the talk, walk in yeah. the talk. Yeah. If you could point to a local organization, I know you're based in Riverside. I, who would you? Are you comfortable pinpointing uh, an entity that you think is uh, moving in the right direction, or has has had it right from from the get go? Beautiful. This is a stumper. <laughs> It is. It is because
1: I, I um, hmm I primarily work in the in the nonprofit arena, but you know I'm familiar with, you know, commercial businesses too. And I apologize that I can't come off the top of my head with something, but I will tell you this: I feel so compelled in my local community about getting people to understand more about what anti-racism is Mm -hmm. and what to do to be an Mm anti-racist that I have worked with two other ladies to start an organization called Anti-Racist Riverside. Awesome. And, you know, we're looking at our community, our city as a whole. And then when we find some places where we should take action, we are. So for instance, the city of Riverside is doing strategic planning, the city council and the mayor. And the city of Riverside also passed a resolution declaring racism as a public health crisis. So as I look at this strategic plan, I see some little things in there about diversity, equity, and inclusion. But when I look at what's going on so far, and they haven't finalized it, I don't see the integration of the things they said they want to do through the resolution. And it was a very active resolution. It wasn't a just, we declare this and move on. It was, we want to do these, you know, nine or 10 or 11 or 12 different things considering, you know, this so that we have, you know, required, you know, diversity training for boards, commissions, the council alike, and more. So we as an organization have worked to integrate that show them how they could integrate it. We put together a letter. We're going to call our council people and the mayor, talk to the city manager. And then on Tuesday's council meeting, we are going to put the recommendation through public comment and have others come on to support it and work to make it happen. Because if you say you're going to do something, uh, we need to hold you accountable. And and that's what I really think is lots of us, not just, you know, Most people have abdicated their power to the entities they elect, and in fact, they don't own that power. That power is ours, and we need to get it, and we need to hold people accountable, and that's the city council, the county board of supervisors, businesses, nonprofits,
0: foundations, the whole nine yards. Really, really good conversation. We have to do this again. Yeah, and now uh, bring back uh, your your cohorts in uh, anti-racist Riverside. I would love to uh, to uh, have a little chat about that. That sounds great. Absolutely. I'm Angela Ross. Thanks for listening to SoCal Voices. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, reach out to us at contact us at socalvoices